Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our series on the book of Ephesians. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, welcome to everybody here in the house. Those of you online, we're uh, glad you're here. It's just an exciting day. Uh, Sean and Layla and Ryder were baptized as a testimony of their faith in Jesus, and we're just excited today. So we're in the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to be talking about identity. Now, identity is a huge topic in our culture today, Uh, but, but, but Professor Max Anders writes this. He goes, identity and actions inseparably go together. From the earliest days of our childhood, our actions are linked to our identity. And then he gives three examples. He said, three-year-old Johnny falls down on the sidewalk as he's running to greet his father who's just pulled into the driveway. He's already been in a tussle with his younger sister over a toy, and he's hungry, and he's crying his heart out. And daddy picks him up and says, there you are, big boy. It's going to be okay. So the message is, uh, he's a big boy, so he should not be so overcome with his fear and his hurt. Then from history, Princess Margaret was a young girl as she sat beside her mother, Queen Elizabeth, as she was presented for the first time to the British public. And she was called upon to say something. And so as she got up to walk to the microphone to say a few words, her mother reaches over and says, you're a princess, walk like one. What's the message? Who she is as a princess, and it should affect how she walks, and a princess should walk with dignity. And then there's Chuck. He's 18 years old. He's just gone through 12 of the hardest weeks of his life in Marine boot camp, and there at the last week, they're forced to do some things that they never thought they would do. They have to crawl under barbed wire while there's live machine gun fire going overhead, and halfway through, he freezes. He begins to sweat. sweat. He claws at the earth below him when a friend crawls up to him and says, it's okay. Hold on, Chuck. You're going to be all right. You're a Marine. So he's able to finish. The message again is who he is, a Marine, should affect how he acts under pressure. Now, through all our lives, from beginning to end, our identity is linked with our actions. Who we are affects how we should act. I'll share a personal example from my own life. Uh, I've always thought, before I became a pastor, I always thought that pastors were supposed to be people of integrity, that they should mean, say what they mean and mean what they say. And, and so before I became a pastor, quite honestly, I had to do some soul searching and examine my own life. And, and you know, I, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm called to be a pastor and teach God's word on all of these things. And so I better be living a life that matches up with God's word. And as I sort of reviewed my life, there was one glaring area where I knew I really wasn't completely following what Jesus and the Bible taught. And it was in the area of generosity, specifically the practice the Bible teaches of tithing, the giving of 10% of one's income to God. You see, at that time, I had given gifts here and there, but I had never actually practiced the tithe of giving that 10% with every paycheck that I got. And so I knew that one day I was going to be called on to teach about what God's word said about that. And so in 1987, I said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you the first 10% of everything I earn. 
And since that day, Cynthia and I have been tithing. Now, why? Well, first and foremost, because that's what God's word teaches us to do. But, but second, you know, I, I, I want to live a life that's fully devoted to God, to, to say what I mean and mean what I say. Now, I share that with all of you because, as we've said, identity is inextricably linked to our actions. In the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we're going to see clearly that our actions are linked to our identity, the identity of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower, you're going to learn something about what it means to be a follower. And then at the end of the message, I'll even give you the opportunity to become one. But, but let me stress something. You know, we're going to look at a lot of actions that go with being a follower. But here's what you need to understand. Faith comes first. We believe in Jesus. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to transform us into being more like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, I love the way chapter 4 starts off. The Apostle Paul writes this, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Every single one of us who has put our trust in Jesus and decided to believe in him and follow him has been called by God. And those of you who haven't put your trust in and started following him, I'll tell you this, you are also called by God to be a follower of Jesus. So, you know, at this point, I could just drop the mic and, and walk away, you know, because lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God. But let's look specifically at what the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write. The first thing we're going to see is that Christians are called to unity. Let me read verses one through six. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. So why is unity so important? You know, we live in a very individualistic culture, but there are places where we see the power of unity lived out. If you're in the military, Unity is critical to complete the mission that you're on. If you play on a sports team, unity is essential for the team to win the game. If you work at a business, being unified is essential to producing the product that is part of what makes the company successful and what gets you a paycheck. So we see the, the importance of unity. In the church, in the body of Christ, we're called as followers of Jesus to be unified in following him in what we believe, in what we say, and in what we do. Our unity in living Christ-like lives is a powerful testimony to an unbelieving world of what Jesus can do in the lives of everyday, ordinary people. 
and our unity in sharing that life-changing message of Christ with people who don't know him propels the vision of making disciples forward that Jesus has called every follower to do. Now, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the actions that will build and keep unity, like being humble and being gentle and being patient and making allowances for each other's faults. I mean, if we would just do that, it would be amazing. One theologian writes this, Paul appeals for corporate unity in the body of Christ on the basis of the elements of spiritual unity. Each element is isolated, is an isolated whole, but each element functions in uniting, uh, as a uniting factor within the church, big C church, universal. So he says the church is one body. That means we may meet in different places and speak different languages and live in different cultures, but none of that separates us from the body of Christ worldwide. We remain one body. We obey one spirit. God's spirit speaks one truth and guides the church, the body of Christ, to unity in our theology, in other words, what we believe, and in our practice. And the church lives in light of the one hope. And what's that one hope? Well, Christ's resurrection has ensured every Christ follower's resurrection to eternal life. And so this common goal encourages the church to act in unity. But, but as Paul goes on, you know, he, he talks about we get our marching orders from one Lord, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. And it's on his sacrifice that our sins are forgiven if we accept his forgiveness for us. And it's on his sacrifice that he purchased our salvation and eternal life. And then we're called to one faith, in other words, Faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's one baptism that unites us as we confess that one faith. That's how we become part of the body of Christ. And that's the unifying mark of being a believer. And then the one final thing it says, there's one God. And this is important because it, it ties us back to the monotheistic uh, roots that we see in Judaism. Monotheism means there's one God. And so we understand that there is one God and we're united under that God. So unity is so important. But Paul goes on. He says, our unity thrives in spiritual maturity. So let's look at the next verses. He, meaning God, has given each one of us a spiritual gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, Paul writes these words. I know it's a lot, 
But he writes these words to adults. Adults who are mature in their mind. And he immediately draws the line that unity in the church thrives when each member of the church seeks to grow up and become spiritually mature. Now, he briefly mentions that God has given us all believers a spiritual gift, and and he mentions five that he goes into there, but he says this about those five, and in fact, he means this about all spiritual gifts. He says, the spiritual gifts are given by God to equip his people to do the work of the church and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, if you've never investigated what your spiritual gifts are, I, I encourage you to do that. We have uh, a discipleship pathway, we call it Grow Track, and part of Grow Track, you actually take a spiritual gifts inventory and, and get to discover your gifts. You can find out more about that on our website, but I would encourage you because as followers of Jesus Christ, when we lean into those gifts, we build up the body and we can find God's pleasure as we serve Him as He's equipped us. Now, Paul goes on to explain by, why unity thrives among mature Christ followers. He says, we'll be more like Christ. We won't chase after every new spiritual fad or teaching that's not even part of scripture. And because we'll be mature, we'll live well with one another and we will work together to create a healthy body of Christ. Now think about this. The importance of mature, being mature spiritually is the same as it is to be mature physically and mentally. You know, when we were babies, we couldn't control our our bodily functions, so our parents put diapers on us. But as we matured, as we physically grew, we learned to control those functions because, after all, it's no fun to wear that diaper, particularly when it's messy, right? So uh, we also recognize that as we grow up, we we grow in our knowledge, we learn things. For instance, if you ever touched a, a, something hot like a stove when you were a little child, you probably learned what I learned. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, that hurt. You grow up mentally. And, and so it's so important that we understand that because once we believe in Jesus, we need to grow up and understand being what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that God wants us to grow up in our relationship with him and our knowledge of him and to be mature. So that means if you believed in Jesus when you were a young child and you were attending Sunday school and you never went deeper in your knowledge and your understanding of God, you're still immature. You need to grow up. You know, our vision as a church is we want to help people Feed themselves on God's word. That's why we encourage you to read scripture and to pray on a regular basis, if not daily, so you can grow in that relationship with God. The more we mature in our faith, the scripture tells us, the more unified the body of Christ will be. And this will happen because our maturity equals holiness. Now, If equating yourself with holiness feels odd, just remember, being holy means becoming more like Jesus as you learn from him, okay? So, let's look at what Paul goes on and says. 
With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So believing in Jesus means we'll follow him as our Lord, as our leader, And it means that we'll follow his teachings that are in God's word. We'll follow all of God's word. And so Paul confronts his readers who are living in a way that they would not learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now, he's specifically talking about those who are Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish, who weren't raised with the Old Testament. But then he goes on and he says, to be mature in our faith with Jesus, we have to throw off our old way of living before we believed in Jesus. We have to constantly say, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And we need to let the Holy Spirit who comes into us guide us and teach us. When he wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said this. He says, you know, when you believe in Jesus, you become a new person. He said, the old is gone, the old person, the old way of life, and the new The new person, the new way of life has come. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you won't sin or make mistakes again. But now you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when you do fail and sin, you know to confess your sins and be forgiven by God. Now, as Paul goes on, he says we need to let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. And that takes me right into this final thought from Ephesians 4. Our holiness comes from following the Spirit of God. In these final verses, now, Paul's going to get really descriptive um, and even prescriptive. And it's about what it does and doesn't look like to follow God through the Holy Spirit. Now, the got to be careful here because this isn't a list of do's and don'ts because sometimes people turn Christianity into religion and Christianity isn't religion it's a relationship with God and when the Holy Spirit comes in us he begins to conform us more and more to the likeness of Christ so let's look how Paul closes this he says so stop telling lies let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, 
Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, when we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And it tells us right there in that passage that the filling of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our day of redemption, of our eternal life is what he's talking about. And the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will nudge us to follow Jesus. But here's something I always say. You know, there's nothing freaky or weird about having the Holy Spirit in you. He's not going to take over. You're not going to become some Christian robot. But you'll sense the nudging, the guiding of the Holy Spirit to care for somebody, to reach out to somebody, to not do something that you ultimately know you shouldn't do. It's important. It's important that we follow the nudging of the Holy Spirit. So let me share with you a personal story. When I was a 19-year-old college sophomore, and I was struggling. I was struggling to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. I'd gone through several uh, choices of majors, uh, and I had a, a lot of people in my life who were actually telling me about Jesus and that I should follow Jesus. Now, candidly, I had grown up going to church almost every Sunday of my life. My parents raised me to be a follower of Jesus. And I thought if you went to church, that meant you were a Christian. You know, that's like saying if you're in your garage, then you're a car, right? Um, But that's what I thought, and, and I didn't understand that. And there were some of my roommates who were telling me this, and a young woman uh, named Cynthia, who eventually became my wife, was telling me I, I needed to find Jesus and, and the purpose that he had for my life. And, and, you know, because I had grown up thinking, if you go to church, you're a Christian, while what they were saying was encouraging, it was all, also confusing. And so I remember going home that summer for the summer break and to work, and I I wanted to read something, and uh, I went to the bookshelf in my parents' house, and, and there was this book on the shelf. It was a book that was given to my father uh, by actually one of his pastors, and it, it was called In His Steps. It was written by a man named Charles Sheldon, and the subtitle of the book was this, What Would Jesus Do? So I started reading that book, and it was about a pastor and his church, and one day somebody had come into church, a homeless person, and nobody had cared for this person, and uh, he then challenged the pastor in that congregation that, you know, you say you believe, but your actions don't match up with what you say you believe. And so that pastor in that congregation set out to start living their lives following in the steps of Jesus, asking themselves, all right, what would Jesus do in this situation? In fact, they grabbed that concept from a verse in the first letter of Peter, and this is what it says. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And so that's what those folks did in in this book. And that was fiction. But all of a sudden, what my friends had been telling me about knowing Jesus and following him made sense. Like, I get it. It means 
being in a relationship with Jesus and living my life, asking myself, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so there on my own, I told Jesus I believed in him and I started following him and I started living my life asking, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? When we live our lives following Jesus and asking, what would he do? The Holy Spirit will guide us. So let me sort of bring this whole message to a conclusion. I started off with a scripture from the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul says, lead a life worthy of your calling. And then I concluded it with the words of the Apostle Peter who said, for God called you to follow in his steps. God calls everyone who believes in Jesus to become spiritually mature. That maturity will reveal itself as we seek to maintain and keep and build up unity in the body of Christ and as we become more and more like Jesus. Doesn't mean we'll be perfect. So, in conclusion, I want to speak to three different groups of people. Those people who have yet to put their faith in Jesus and believe in him and follow him. Those who have decided to believe in Jesus, but they have an immature faith. And those who believed in Jesus some time ago and, and have a mature faith. So, look, if you haven't decided to believe in Jesus and start following him, today's your day. Uh, you can do that this morning. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a prayer that you can pray to become a follower of Jesus. And if you do pray that prayer Come see me or send us an email at connect.valleybrook.cc so we can send you a free ebook to help you go deeper in your relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Now, to those of you who uh, believe in Jesus, but your faith is immature, start asking God every day and in every situation you find yourself in, what would Jesus do in this situation? And start talking to him and start reading the Bible. Start here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Now, to those of you who are mature in Christ, let me encourage you to continue to lean into following Jesus. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and read it and, and do your own evaluation of yourself, uh, not in a judgmental way, but to say, am I seeking to become more like Jesus? Is there some area of my life where I'm not saying what I mean and meaning what I say? And lean into that and find another follower of Jesus to help encourage you in that. So I want to pray for all of us in those three different areas. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to start off with those folks who want to become a follower of Jesus. If you've never believed in Jesus, as I said, this is your day. And all you have to do is tell him you believe in him and accept his forgiveness and that you want to follow him. So let me suggest these phrases that you can pray silently back to him. Here's the first one. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I accept Jesus' forgiveness for my sins. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. And I want to follow him for the rest of my life. And we'll say amen to that, but I'm going to continue in prayer. 
God, you know who of us uh, have come to faith time, some time ago, and we just sort of stalled in growing deeper in our relationship with you. So Lord, I pray for that person, that man, that woman, that, that young man, that young woman. I pray for whoever they are, that they would begin to lean in to asking, what would Jesus do if he were walking in my shoes? And that you would lead them through your Holy Spirit to, to be reading your word and talking to you in prayer. And for those who have been walking with you sometime and have grown, I, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives to be encouragement to others, to help them go deeper along the way and to share our faith and bless those who don't know them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us go deeper in our relationship with you, looking for those spots in our lives where what we say we believe doesn't match with how we live. And we pray that you would work in each of our lives in the ways that we prayed. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.